This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey Blenders, it's Sean here to introduce you to a very special bonus episode of Real Blend. And I say special because we have not one, uh, but three guests this time out uh, on behalf of the quirky indie comedy titled Brian and Charles. Uh, we have the co-writers and the two uh, actors who play in the film, David Earl and Chris Hayward. Uh, and they're joined by their director, Jim Archer, for a very lively conversation uh, about a very quirky film. Uh, the movie made a splash at the Sundance Film Festival for its themes about uh, both friendship uh, and loneliness. And so as part of the conversation with these guys, we got into uh, the excitement that comes with getting uh, chosen to go to the, the Sundance Film Festival for the very first time, uh, but also the challenges that come with not being able to attend because the, the festival goes virtual and still being able to, to somewhat participate uh, via an event in London that they will tell you guys all about. And I think give you some pretty good insight into um, the journey that an independent film takes through the film festival circuit uh, in the time of COVID. Uh, also, this is a really, uh, this is a, a concept, a comedic concept that they've been working on for years. The guys had uh, had been doing it on stage. And, and we talk about the challenges of filming with the character of Charles, who, uh, for people who have checked out the movie, is a life-sized robot uh, that, that acts almost like a puppet, uh, even though Chris Hayward is, is inside of it and interacting with David Earl. And so the guys talk about uh, the evolution of the character's design, uh, some of the things that they could do uh, in film that they weren't able to do on stage and vice versa. And so hearing a lot about that process, I think, is really, really fascinating uh, whether you've seen the movie or not, it might get you prepped uh, and excited to go check out Brian and Charles when it hits a theater near you. So without further ado, uh, our conversation on the Rebel End podcast, a bonus episode on behalf of Brian and Charles with David Earl, Chris Hayward and director Jim Archer. <laughs> Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on the Real Blend Podcast. I am Jake. That is Sean. Uh, we are a very much filmmaker craft driven podcast. So please feel free to get as nerdy as you want or possibly can. So seriously, thank you for joining us today. 
Thank you very much. Thanks for having, Thanks us. For having yeah. us. We're going to jump into this. Um, I want to talk about the, the mockumentary style of filmmaking. How much of a difference does that style of storytelling, I guess, affect the different aspects of your creative process? Like when you know the story is going to be told like this, how does it affect the, the writing, the directing, the acting, and I guess just the overall feel for what this movie is going to be? Uh, yeah, I feel like it's sort of, um, it really, it definitely affects the directing a lot. And the sort of, I mean, if we're going to get nerdy straight away, the sort Please. Of, <laughs> the, the, just the, the coverage of, of everything, like we're sort of like thinking about the, we're thinking about the logic of a fake crew the entire time and how they would cover a scene. And like, there's things that like David and Chris wrote into this, like with sort of big action sequences and like, there's like car chases, not to do too many spoilers. But then you've got to think about like thinking about how that would be covered as a documentary crew and what like logic they would have. It's kind of interesting to think, okay, well, if they don't know this is going to happen, or maybe they do, like, how would they, where would they be? They can't like, if they can't be in the other car, they can only be in this car and stuff like that. So it was, took a lot of kind of like just thinking of it through the minds of a sort of fake crew and like, yeah. Did you ever have, I'm assuming like, did you ever backtrack because you're like, you started to maybe get a shot and then you go, wait, no, realistically, this shot like wouldn't be possible because they wouldn't have the forethought to be shooting this way or that moment. Yeah, exactly. There were some things in the cut where we just, where we sort of maybe like broken the rule a little bit. And then when we put in the cut, we're like, this suddenly feels wrong. It doesn't like, it doesn't look like a documentary anymore. So we would just have to take it out and use like the more sort of the rougher shots and the sort of the shots with more movement. But uh yeah, and then also just like uh, the sort of style kind of, we wanted it to feel like a modern documentary. So we used a lot more of those kind of like a bit more cinematic. We didn't use zoom lenses. We all kept it on primes and yeah, and just that sort of atmospheric music and ambient kind of feel. Um, yeah, so it was just, it was interesting trying to update the mockumentary a bit. For sure. And in, the, in the early stages, we, we talked about whether a... Um, whether it should be a narrative format instead. I remember we had that conversation, but because of the there were elements of the short film that we did that we always came back to that we liked, and just comedically, David being able to look straight down the camera and, and make little comments was just always so funny. We yeah. wanted to keep that as much as possible as well. Yeah, and I guess drilling off of that, Chris, if you could, um, because uh, a mockumentary style or even a documentary in general, one of the things that, that I love about the challenge of a documentary is you never really know what the end is going to be. Uh, so I just wanted to hear your process about how you guys cracked what the actual story of this film is going to be, uh, what ideas were discussed, uh, and if there was a, a time when the story ever really extended beyond the realm that it kind of occupies now. Yeah, well, initially, we just came up with lots of different ideas. Like we all pitched in, me, David, Jim, and Rupert, our producer. And um, yeah, I mean, the, it wasn't just where we were ending that was, you know, the initial puzzle, but also even what the beginning was. Because in mm. the short film, Charles already existed. Mm. So we did think, oh, should we do it that way where the feature starts, where he's already alive? But then we thought, well, you're kind of missing some fun by seeing that process and seeing him come alive. But then we thought, well, how, does he... Does he come? Uh, we had one idea where he came from space, where Charles came from space. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and a ridiculous idea where we find out it's from a planet full of Charles's. <laughs> we had all these ideas that were so ludicrous. We had one idea where uh, Brian is walking down a lonely lane and a, a truck drives past and Charles essentially falls off a truck. Okay. And in that instance, he was from Japan and he was trying to get back to Japan. 
So we just had all these, yeah, all these slightly ludicrous ideas. No, by the way, these are great. Yeah, these are all. <laughs> I get, I get, well, they're sort of, they're funny. Um, and then we didn't even want him to be an inventor because we thought, oh, that feels like a bit of a cliche where it's been done plenty. So there was a version where he was a sort of um, avant-garde artist who who built who who just built things. But that's quite it's quite a hard character to describe instantly to someone to say, oh yes, this character, he's an avant-garde artist. <laughs> Whereas if you just say, oh, he's an inventor, people go, oh, okay, cool. David, so, every time they came up with like a new version of this character, did you have to start the process of molding him and building him? And then like, I mean, how, how many how many different versions of of Brian existed in your head before you guys sort of chiseled down to the last one? Um. Honestly, I sort of don't think about it until I put the glasses on. Because <laughs> um, I've been doing him for years. He's been a taxi driver. He's run a cafe. Um, we just alter him to fit the situation he's in. So, um, yeah. So we came up with Inventor. Oh, right, he's an Inventor now, is he? Fine. What, what next? Sure. He'll be an ice skater or something in the next one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, speaking of, of Charles, I want to talk about the design of Charles. Obviously, it's, it's Brian using a washing machine and a mannequin head. I'm sort of curious how many different designs were, were gone through, were considered, and, and how much time was spent thinking about what Charles was, was going to look like and be made out of. I don't think enough time went into it. But the, for the um, for the, sh the short film, so we used to perform it as a live comedy act. And it, it was just a cardboard box with a mannequin head. So I built the original one. And then for the feature, so our production department got hold of that. And we wanted to, we wanted to improve it as much as we could, but they ended up pretty much sticking to what we already had. So um, the cardboard got upgraded to a more of a heavier plastic I had bamboo inside to strengthen it. But um, for the most part, it was pretty much the same, yeah. Uh, fancy lads. <laughs> where, where, is, where, where is Charles today? Um, well, I've got one of his heads. Oh, please let us see that. Yes! <laughs> yeah. That is fantastic. <laughs> and it looks like a slight of my head. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that is the one that David Bryan finds in the trash heap that he uh, that inspires him. Yeah, we, we made like six different versions of the head because there were like versions where he like vomits oil or like a mouse comes out of his mouth. So we had like we like cut the back of his head off and put like a <laughs> pipe through it, but then we just cut all those scenes. So it was like we only needed. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. So Jim, um, Brian, uh, Charles reminds me of of essentially Bruce the shark uh, from Jaws in that <laughs> it, it has to work a certain way, you know, <laughs> and, and if it doesn't. Uh, then you're not getting the the goal of the scene necessarily that that you're that you're aiming for. So uh, were there some instances where essentially Charles wasn't the most cooperative, uh, and what kind of nightmares did you run into on set? I mean, Charles is pre was pretty cooperative. I think the thing like remember the first day where like we brought Chris out as Charles, and we're just in this valley. It was just super windy, and like immediately like Chris was like basically struggling to stand up a bit. And there was a sort of moment there where we're just like, oh God, this is, is this going to be the whole shoot where just, and it, it kind of actually was like Chris is struggling for four weeks. But um, yeah, there was nothing like, I don't think there was anything too tricky on my behalf. I think all the sort of, all the difficulties were, were Chris based. 
I think sometimes Jim would have to say, can you turn the head to the left a bit? So he's looking, because I couldn't quite tell where the head was pointing. So if it, if it was having a conversation with David, that was my main direction was, can you turn the head to the left a bit? Or yeah, it was like breaking all the rules of directing. I was just like, just sort of telling him exactly what to do with his hands and face. <laughs> you, you sort of have to though, because I'm, I'm basically blindfolded in there. So yeah. That's and a Chris, lot of trust. You said you've been doing it live for, for such a long time. So how has that process evolved then? How how difficult was it for, you know, in the earliest days of figuring out how to make it credible? Um, I don't know about making it credible. I just wanted to look I, in the in the comedy act that we did. I just wanted it to look really quite preposterous. And it's just it's really tall as well. So we, we had one uh, moment in our comedy act where I would, the, the audience would come in and I'd be under a sh big sheet. So I'd be hidden and they wouldn't know what it was. And then David would do about 20 minutes and then pull the sheet off. And then I'd, stun I'd suddenly stand up and people would just, just didn't know what on earth <laughs> to make it. <laughs> so yeah, so we just wanted to make it really quite ridiculous, but it stayed pretty much the same since the initial version. Is, is there a scene that you guys added to the final film that you didn't perform on stage that you now look back and be like, hey, it would have been really cool if we had gotten to do that one, that one on stage? Oh, wow. Well, uh, in the film... Well, well, on stage, which we didn't put in the film, uh, me and Charles kiss. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we had a... Oh. Yeah. Okay, walk us through that. Walk us through the psychosis of that one, please. I feel at that point, I think they're running out of ideas. Yeah, yeah you don't want to watch that. It's not <laughs> there are some old clips on YouTube of our old gigs that we did. Uh, yeah, and they they look quite mad now when you watch them. Do you know the film Dead Man's Shoes? No. I do not, no. Oh, right. Oh, we did a live show with Paddy Constantine and we recreated one of the scenes from that film. That was good fun, but yeah. Uh, well, speaking of, of extra scenes, um, you know, we, we get to see a lot of Brian's inventions. We get to see the egg belt and the, the pine cone bag and the cabbage bin. And I, honestly, it just made me real. I could watch a two-hour film of Brian just showing different inventions to the camera. <laughs> like, it just, I, I, could just, I could keep watching them. W please tell me that there were a lot more that didn't make the final cut because I, I just want to see an extended cut of this where it's just just Brian just showing different different inventions. There is like a there's like a half hour take. We just we just, there was almost like a half hour continuous take that that scene where he's showing all the inventions. So like there is one, it's probably somewhere of just David slowly losing his mind just as he's going <laughs> slowly through <laughs> the inventions and trying to explain <laughs> each one. Because yeah, we just had so many. We had like we just had shelves full of stuff that Hannah, the production designer, had made or found that just like, we had no idea what they did as an invention. We just put them there and then got David to sort of try and make up what they did on the spot. So wait, they weren't written. They, was, they were just random props. And then David, you had to look at them and, de and determine what this random item could possibly be an invention of? Yeah, I mean, there were a couple that were written, like the egg belt. Which the I love. <laughs> Oh, Everyone needs one. It's useful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the pine cone bag, which... Did you love that? <laughs> when you have too many pine cones at one place... Yeah, that's what you got. you got to just put them around the bag. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the helmet that sucked air out and... Yeah, and the... I, I walked in there, I was like, what, what the hell am I looking at? I'm really going for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So I'm sorry for not knowing this specifically, but did you guys get to travel to Sundance with the film? I know the film was in there, but did you guys get to go? No, unfortunately, it got it got ten. Well, it got sort of put online like two weeks before, so we had everything booked, and then it was was canned. But we managed to do a. Um, we had a showing uh, in London, and we managed to do a live Q and A to, to to people who are watching online. So with we did Charles. have a little celebration for it. Well, but tell me about the day that you guys found out. I, I, you, now that you say that, I do remember the Sundance went completely virtual this year. Um, the day you find out that you're getting accepted into it, though. I mean, the, the festival still holds, you know, such a, a place of prestige. It must have felt fantastic uh, to finally uh, to, to learn that a film you'd been worked on had been accepted. Yeah, like total dream come true for me. Like that's like the one sort of festival that I would just hope to one day be a part of. So to, to get up first film into that festival was like it was also the first time that we sort of realized that people liked it because we hadn't shown it to anyone yet so they were the sort of first people outside our little bubble to say like we like it and like yeah we, we want it at that festival yeah such an important part of the whole film's kind of journey really Chris and David you guys too oh god yeah. I, I mean I, I was baffled as soon as it got the short got a nice um, uh, reaction because we always found it funny. We always found the relationship funny, but we never thought anyone else would. So when we, we put the short on YouTube, that and that got a nice reaction. It was like, oh, oh, right, maybe we're not mad. And then <laughs> Sundance, and yes, and then we won the London Sundance Award last Sunday. It was, yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't really. Uh, I still sort of can't believe that really. And even when we were there at Sundance at the London version. I just thought, is this, is this genuinely the actual Sundance or is it like a sort of pretend one? <laughs> yeah, it's a reality show where you're the victim. It's a little real. Yeah, yeah it's brilliant, really. I do love that, that idea of you mentioned, uh, David, that, you know, you have jokes amongst your friends and, and you're, you're absolutely convinced that, like no one else is going to, because even like Sean and Gabe and, and myself, we all have jokes amongst just our real our podcast and and i'm pretty sure if i ever try to explain them to anyone they would just look at me just puzzled and have absolutely no idea what i'm yeah, talking about sometimes so we guys, look at him we look yeah, at him that's puzzled fair. sometimes yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> that's well, too. well speaking yeah. of, of people's reactions i want to kind of go back to to performing this on a stage so you guys know the moments in the show the beats that yield like the biggest reactions from a live audience because you've heard the the people in front of you i'm curious how much those memories of what people did and did not react to um sort of sort of uh, you brought those memories over to inform decisions that you made for the movie yeah well, there's certain, there's certain things like when we're like dance some something simple like dancing like charles dancing always got such a mad reaction uh because it looks so stupid and they would dance together so something simple like that we'd take over but um, them just trying to communicate with one another and the pregnant pauses, sort of Brian or me waiting for asking Charles a question and then waiting for Rupert, the producer, who's at the back of the room voicing the robot. So I'd have to wait 20 seconds for a simple yes to come out of the robot. <laughs> so those, those were always sort of really delicious moments. And we made sure we kept those awkward silences in the movie, didn't we? Also, oh, I love that. All the repetition as well. The fact that Charles always repeats himself is just because Rupert can just press return and it. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah, it's what it is. <laughs> but then that like leads into Charles being this thing who just keeps repeating himself. It's like, all right, mate, shut up. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Jim, to that end, because uh, editing is so important to comedy, uh, can you just talk about your editing process and how you found those beats, the the, the moments of silence that that let uh, a laugh line hit yeah. even harder? Yeah, I mean, we basically cut all the silence out, really. But no, we, we did. No, we, we kept it in <laughs> like the, for the talking heads and stuff like that. But what was amazing about the edit was just how much we could just rewrite what Charles said and like because because it's all like a text-to-speech software like it could even be like the same line but we'll be like oh maybe we want him to like add a comma there or just say that word in a slightly different way so we'd like try and spell it differently so he said it in a funnier or like or a way that made more sense so it was like you could totally there's almost like this other level of writing that we all did at the end where we're just like okay we can just give charles completely new lines and because he's sort of expressionless you can you can rewrite his lines and he can he can portray that. He can, be, he can be angry or sad because it's his face is the same. <laughs> True. Uh, so, guys, it's interesting to think about the progression of the story from from live on stage to to a, a short film in 2017 to to the film that we're talking about today. Um, so, I, with that being said, I'm curious as to what the next step is. Like, are we thinking like a cinematic universe? Like, are we going to sort of like look at what Marvel's doing and then start bringing over? You know, I mean, like, do a multiverse? Like, what 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 pop culture robot would we bring in to um, to interact with with Brian and Charles? Wow. Yeah. I. I, mean, I I just sort of remembered a film that I loved, a robot film the other day, Batteries Not Included. Do you remember? Yes. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. I loved that film. So if those little flying robots could enter that world, then I'm all in for that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's the, it's <laughs> the next logical step. Yeah. <laughs> I like weird science. So Kelly... Yeah, was Ke- we said Kelly LeBrock was a robot. Wasn't Kelly she? LeBrock, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and a very young Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, if you, can affo- if you can afford his rate nowadays, it might yeah. be tough to get him into the. He sequel. could come up the farm. She friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm curious whose review uh, meant the most to you, David. Uh, you, you said you know that you were surprised to, you know, to eventually learn that people outside of your bubble. Uh, were entertained by this, but but once the film came out and hit the film circuit and started to get critical reviews, uh, whose opinion meant the most to you to hear whether it worked or not? Oh, wow. I mean, when Empire gave us a nice review, that, that felt pretty special. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, Sundance just backing it and Empire and... Uh, I mean, without sounding cheesy, I'm just... I was really chuffed at my... I've got a uh, young boy, well, I've got three boys, but I've got a five and a seven-year-old, and they're really into it. And my mum was really into it. So I was really, we we set out to make something really accessible. And uh, yeah, I felt like a hard thing, and it, uh, hopefully we pulled that off. So that was nice. I was afraid you were going to tell me that they weren't into it, because yeah. quite all, I have teenagers. Well, my mum hates everything I do. <laughs> so i was like oh thanks mom yeah i I have teenagers and the only reason they care is because their friends kind of like what i do they kind of like what i do well i don't care though uh charles was sort of based on my eldest when we were writing it he was 14 15 so i was going through a lot of those experiences with him just him not wanting to spend time with me and me not wanting to let go so when he came to the the premiere in London last Sunday, my eldest to watch it with me. And that was really nice. But he kept saying to me, Oh, bloody hell, dad, that's me and you, that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
that's funny. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, sometimes, well, oftentimes, we'll, we'll cover a film, and it's based on a short film, and I think, oh, that's really cool that they made that journey. But very rarely do I ever, am I inspired to retroactively go back and want to try to find the short film and, and, and sort of see kind of the, the, the acorn that, that turned into the tree. I'm, sort of, I'm curious, are you guys finding a lot of people are going backwards and, and now retroactively discovering the short film as a result of this one? Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, I guess the film's still not like fully out yet. So I guess people, there's been a few reactions to that, but it's still just from those kind of festival audiences and people have like seen the previews. So, um, yeah, um, but I think the, the majority of people so far are people who've sort of like have like seen the short and are coming to see the film because they know it. But uh, yeah, I think there's been a few reactions like that where they're like, oh God, yeah, because Charles, when you see Charles in the short compared to the feature, you're like, he looks horrible. Like it looks like, <laughs> it looks like he's like been on drugs for like three years or something. <laughs> I, I will get you guys out of here on this one. Uh, and I guess Jim, I will start with you. Is it difficult waiting after a film performs, uh, you know, at a festival in January and then you're told, okay, uh, wait most of the year before an audience gets a chance to say it. Yeah. It, yeah. It's tough. And even when we finished it before Sundance, we finished it in June last year. So it's been like a whole year of just like sitting on this thing. And also you just, you watch it over and over again. And you're like, oh, I'd change that. I'd change that bit and I can't anymore. So uh, yeah, I'd almost just like, yeah, get it out. So I can just like, people can just start reacting to it and I can stop thinking about it. Chris, same with yourself. Yeah. I mean, I just want it to get out there really, because it seemed, it's been such a long process and uh, I just, yeah, I just want it to be released. In the UK, it's not out for another three weeks, I think. So just think, okay, just just get our film out before something else gets closed down. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are very excited for people to get a chance to see it, uh, and we can't wait for uh, to have you guys back on the show sometime soon with the with the next thing you guys work on. So, thanks so much for joining the Rubbleland Podcast, guys, and continued success. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate you guys. Of course, we want to thank the guys for stopping by the show and joining us for that conversation. Make sure you check out Brian and Charles, which should be playing in limited release at a theater near you. And then I'm sure making its way to streaming in some way, shape or form. The reason why we have these guys as our bonus episode this week is because we have a very special episode uh, dropping on Friday as part of the main show. Uh, we've teased it on social media. We can officially say it because it's happened. Tom Hanks is joining the Real Blend podcast. Um and and Jake is still not OK, as you guys might imagine. Uh, he is promoting Elvis. We were all in Memphis in order to do the press junket for Elvis. And Tom Hanks agreed to come on the Real Blend podcast. Um, it was and it was amazing. It's it's I, I'm not overselling it when I tell you guys that it's it's everything that you want it to be. Uh, and then some we cover uh, so much of Elvis, of course, um, but also several stops along the way of his career uh, with a ton of stories that that are told in only the way that Tom Hanks can tell them. Uh, and and I think, you know, approached in the very unique way that the Robland interviews have become defined by uh, in terms of the way that they're driven by passion uh, and, and asking things that are outside the box. That I think he really appreciated. So uh, that's coming on Friday. Make sure you are back here to check out the the Elvis interview uh, with Tom Hanks on Robland uh, to make sure that you see all of our interviews and, and all the full shows and all the fun things we get to do here on Robland. Make sure you hit subscribe. Turn on your notifications uh, and we'll be uh, back with more episodes of Real Blend and bonus episodes just like this one today sometime soon. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, 
by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.